Welcome to A Flame for Christ, homilies to set your heart on fire with love for Jesus Christ. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined us on this Ordinary Time 26 Sunday. You know, when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, he wrote it from prison, and that's very appropriate, I think, because he penned some of the most treasonous words that were ever written. And the words were, Christos Kurios, Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, why is that so treasonous? Because the only people that could claim that title of Kurios, Lord, in the ancient world were Roman emperors. And so to claim that Jesus Christ is Lord is to put him on par with these emperors that the people considered divine. In fact, it was Julius Caesar who convinced the Roman Senate to address him as Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. And Caligula, who was emperor during the first part of Paul's ministry, ended up having everybody worship him as a god and address him solely as Kurios. So to claim that this humble, obscure carpenter from some backwater town of Nazareth who died an excruciatingly painful execution was Lord would be tantamount to treason. But how different was Christ's lordship from the lordship of these Roman emperors? Consider, for example, that these emperors were constantly grasping, grasping, trying to hold on to their power. In fact, it was said of one early Roman leader that it would be better to be this leader's pig than his son, because his sons were always in, de- in jeopardy of being killed because they could be rivals to the throne. Caligula himself ended up smothering his uncle in order to rise to the position of emperor, and he constantly would be taking out and killing anybody who even threatened to take his power away. But Paul gives a very different look at Christ's lordship. He says that though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. In other words, Christ emptied himself. He poured it out. Rather than clinging to power, he was willing to relinquish it for our sake and our salvation. There's a great word in Greek that really encapsulates all of that. And the word is kenosis. Kenosis basically means self-emptying, that pouring out of oneself, abasing oneself, choosing the lowest place. This is the radical mystery of the Incarnation, that God, who had absolutely everything in heaven, he was lacking for nothing, complete and total perfect happiness, was willing to give that up and enter into a world of pain and cold and hunger and suffering for no benefit of his own, solely for us and for our salvation. He could completely have avoided all of this, and yet for us, he was willing to lay it down. In our egalitarian and very comfortable society, we sometimes lose that gap between king and lord and peasant person, right? But if you're in the first century, consider what kings had that peasants didn't. Kings could live in palaces, which meant that they always had a roof over their head. They always had enough food to eat. They had enough clothes to keep them warm. They had somewhat of security, right? People weren't, you know, they weren't worried about robbers robbing them. They had people who were just flattering them constantly. They had the freedom to do anything they wished, And yet for a king to be able to leave all of that and enter into the cold and the hunger and the darkness to be with the peasants would be kind of an unthinkable act of love. And that's precisely what Christ did. I think sometimes we romanticize, too, the incarnation, right? We have this beautiful picture of what Bethlehem looks like in our minds and on Christmas cards and mangers. But have you ever been into a stable? Stables are not clean places. It probably smelled like sweat and dung and animals. He was placed in a manger, which was filled with straw. I don't know if you ever tried to sleep on straw, but it's poking you in the back all the time. This is not some comfortable down pillow that Christ was placed upon. It probably stank. It had bugs crawling in it. And if Joseph and Mary were poor, 
Poverty often meant that you were cold in the wintertime. You didn't have enough clothes. You were constantly hungry. It was your companion at all times. And you had to worry at every moment about being robbed, being attacked, the brigands coming. And so Jesus entered into this, the mystery of utter poverty, this kenosis, the self-emptying of all the glory he had for us and our salvation. But that wasn't even as low as he was willing to go. He wanted to empty himself further. And so he emptied himself of his freedom by being nailed to a cross. He emptied himself of his possessions by being stripped of his garments. He emptied himself of even his very breath when he gave up his life for us. There's a line in the Easter Vigil that I've always found so powerful. That line is, To ransom a slave, you gave away your son. To ransom a slave, you gave away your son. That's precisely what it means to believe to be a Christian, to believe that God is willing to humble himself so much that he would exchange his life for our lives, which we as creatures, as servants, as slaves, are not anywhere near worth as much as he is. But he didn't empty himself just so that he could console us in our poverty, but rather so that he could lift us up and allow us a share in his glory. Okay, all this is very beautiful, but you may be saying to yourself, all right, but what's the takeaway? How does this impact my life? Well, in two ways. First of all, we must live a life of thanksgiving for such incredible radical gift as this self-emptying of Christ. You know, of course, the greatest way of saying thanks is the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. And we go to the Mass to give thanks for this total gift of self. Jesus' earthly life was his descent into our misery, but when we receive the Eucharist, we ascend into his majesty. But the other takeaway is that Christ gave us an example of how we are to live as Christians. In fact, John Paul II said, Christ reveals man to himself. Christ reveals man to himself. And when we see Jesus in his self-emptying on the cross, it urges us to do the same. As Christ said at the Last Supper, he said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I think a beautiful example of that was the monks, the Trappist monks in the monastery of Our Lady of Atlas in Algeria. So back in the 1940s, these Trappist Catholic monks from France felt called by God to, to build a new establishment, a new monastery in a place where Christianity did not exist And the northern coast of Africa there in uh, Algeria was dominated by Islam. And so they said, let's build it there. And so they built it in this small town that was mostly Islamic. And at first, the townspeople did not know what to make of these men who lived such radically different lives. But it didn't take long for these monks to win over the hearts of the townspeople because they spent their life pouring it out for them. They opened a free medical clinic, they provided free education, food, job training, and basically they were there in any need that these people had. They saw them as brothers and sisters. What a great gift that was. But in 1996, civil war struck Algeria, and radical Islamic terrorists started to threaten these Trappist monks to the point that several times they barged in and said, if you don't leave, we're going to kill you. Well, wind of this got back to France, and even the superior of the Trappists wrote to them and said, you need to leave for your own safety. But the monks who were there in that monastery gathered together, and they had a long conversation and said, what do we do? They realized that their entire life had been poured out, this kenosis, this constant self-emptying for the people of Algeria. And they said, how can we abandon that? That is our mission, and we're going to pour out everything, even if it means pouring out every drop of our blood. One night, the Islamic terrorists entered into the monastery and kidnapped seven of the men, seven of these priests and monks, and they brought them into the desert 
where they gave them one last chance to recant and say, look, become Islamic, become Muslim, and we won't kill you. But all of them confirmed their faith in Christ. And not only did they pour out their life for their people, they poured out their life for God. In 2018, Pope Francis named these seven martyrs to be blessed one step away from sainthood. And really, the reality is, this is the calling of every Christian, to pour out one's life, to practice that kenosis, that self-emptying for him. You know, coaches in sports will sometimes talk about, leave it all out on the field. That's kind of their catchphrase, meaning give 100% every play to the mission of winning the game. Well, you know, you and I have a mission. That mission is our holiness. That mission is sanctification in Jesus Christ and bringing the world to Christ, to renewal in him. Can we say that we're leaving it all out on the field? That we're pouring it out every step? Are we giving 100% to prayer? 100% to sacrifice? 100% to the pursuit of virtue and the avoidance of sin? My friends, if Jesus Christ is Lord, if Jesus Christ is truly Christos Kurios, then he is worth leaving it all out on the field for. He's worth the kenosis, whatever self-emptying he requires of us. And in doing so, in pouring out our life for him, we find that he lifts us up to a share in his everlasting glory. 